Welcome to another episode of Disrupt. I'm Robert Holly with Home Healthcare News. Before we jump into my conversation with Joe McDonough, founder and CEO of Nijoni Health, I want to give a shout out to our podcast sponsor, HomeCare Homebase, whose powerful cloud-based home health software streamlines virtually every aspect of your business. Spend less time on paperwork and more time delivering quality care to the patients who need you. Visit hchb.com to learn more. While the coronavirus is challenging for any home health provider, it could be especially devastating for those that care for populations with acute mental health or behavioral health conditions. Nijoni Health, a growing home health operation located in Massachusetts, is one such provider. I recently caught up with founder and CEO Joe McDonough to check in on Nijoni and how it's had to adapt and innovate during the coronavirus emergency. Timing-wise, Joe and I connected around mid-April, right around when Nijoni was starting to deal with its first COVID-19 patients. Joining me now is Joe McDonough. He's the founder and CEO of Nijoni Health, a home health provider that operates throughout the state of Massachusetts. Joe, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Well, thank you, Bob, for having me. It's great to talk to you again. So for our uh, our listeners here, you know, they might be a little bit confused that I'm saying back on the podcast, Joe and I actually recorded a previous Disrupt conversation, but that was before the coronavirus completely changed, well, everything. So it seems a little bit stale to drop that earlier conversation uh, in light of what's going on. So Joe, really appreciate you kind of doing this take two with us. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, and I'm sure we had both had better hair the last time we spoke. Yeah, I actually have a pretty <laughs> lengthy, lengthy beard right now, and I'm, I don't think I'm going to shave it until the world goes back to normal. So it might be <laughs> a couple of weeks here. But all right, before we jump into you know your response to the coronavirus and what you're doing within your own operations, just to give our, our listeners a better idea of who you are and who Najoni Health is as a provider, could you just kind of go over the basics? You have a pretty unique home health model, right? Yes, absolutely. We're, we're typical VNA. However, we specialize in patients that have a behavioral health diagnosis that also have chronic uh, medical comorbidities. So it's a different type of population. It's a younger population than at homebound. And most of them tend to be under the Medicaid program as well. Yeah, you walked me through this before, but could you just describe what the typical patient looks like in terms of age, illness, homebound status, and that kind of thing, so our reader or our listeners know right off the bat, you know, who we're talking about, really? Sure. Our typical patient tends to be uh, between the ages of 30 and 60, so it's a much younger population than the traditional VNAs work with. They've been in the system a long time. They're chronically mentally ill, so. You know, it's hard to say what a typical patient is, but I'll give you a a patient that uh, fits a particular profile. So we have a patient that may have schizophrenia. They've been, you know, diagnosed for the last 20 years. They also are on a list of probably 12 or more medications. So it's a very complex medication regimen. And they also have concurrent medical issues. So this is a population that if someone is 45 years old, I would add about 20 years onto that. Mm-hmm. And they face some of the same physical uh, challenges as a, as a 65-year-old would. So when we work with them, it's not so much necessarily, we certainly treat the, the mental illness aspect in a psychiatric aspect, but really, you know, we look at, at a psychiatric diagnosis as really a complicating factor for treating the medical issues. So let's say someone has, is diabetic and they're, they're prescribed insulin twice a day. Well, a lot of our patients don't have the cognitive ability to uh, even operate the glucometer, never mind trying to you know, correlate the score of the glucometer to what their dose of insulin should be and administer it safely. 
So we, for that typical patient, we may go in twice a day, or that type of patient rather, we may go in twice a day and you know administer their insulin, assess their symptoms, do a uh, you know really assess all their systems, and we really work closely with the psychiatrists that they have as well as the primary care physicians. So. In a lot of cases, these patients really exist in a very fragmented care system where, you know, oftentimes, unfortunately, uh, you don't have the primary care provider and the psychiatrist speaking. And, and a lot of these, these patients also are under the Department of Mental Health. They, they may work with a vendor at the Department of Mental Health that assists them with their housing and psychiatric support and, and social determinants such as food and, and heating and that sort of thing. And so we, we really work with everybody and our nurses and physical therapists and occupational therapists really oftentimes function as a hub of a very complex system. And uh, just to give our, our listeners some context around size and scale, could you talk about how big Najoni is exactly? I think I remember that you're statewide in Massachusetts, right? Yeah, we're pretty much statewide. We do about 21,000 patient visits a week. So there's, there's, there's certainly a lot to manage. We have over 3,000 patients and around about 750 employees that we work with, and they're all employees. So we don't we don't uh, contract with our nurses or physical therapists. We may contract out for home health aides and that sort of thing, but but the majority of our clinicians are um, employees. And looking back at Najoni's history, you actually launched the company yourself, correct? Correct. Did you do that because you noticed a particular need in the market that kind of there was this gap for the acute kind of behavioral health patients that you take care of? Yeah, absolutely. So I went to graduate school down at uh, Yale University down in Connecticut. And while I was in graduate school, I worked at some home care programs in Connecticut in the New Haven area. And Connecticut at that period of time had a very well-developed psychiatric home care system. It was thriving. They were really doing some uh, very interesting things back in the mid to late 90s. In the year 2000, I got engaged to my wife and decided to come back uh, to Massachusetts, where I'm originally from. And so I decided at that point that I wanted to start a company. And when I was looking at Massachusetts, I was surprised because Massachusetts has a very robust system for VNAs. They have tremendous VNAs that have been around for many years and do wonderful work. But one thing I noticed is that for patients that were chronically mentally ill, that weren't tone-bound, or a younger population, there really was not any agencies that were really that were meeting the needs. And so oftentimes these patients would be discharged from a hospital, they had medical needs, and they really weren't able to access care. So they were consistently going back into the emergency room and then, you know, being hospitalized oftentimes up to 20 to 25 times a year. And so that's when I saw a lot of those factors, I decided to start this company and try to meet those needs. And we really uh, have done well over the years. And it's, you know, it's simply a population that continues to need more care. There's more need in Massachusetts and certainly more need throughout the country. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I want to take this time now to shift gears, jump into current events a little bit in the coronavirus public health emergency. On a high level, I want to ask first, how has the COVID-19 virus impacted your operations? And then maybe as a follow-up, I want to walk through some particular challenges because we all know that PPE and access to that has been a huge issue uh, just kind of across the country. But let's start on that high level. You know, what, what are the ways that COVID-19 has impacted your operations? Well, we've been fortunate. So we spent the last 18 months really focusing on our technology infrastructure. 
We've become cloud-based as a company. Our CIO, Dave Ledoux, has really pushed us. Uh, sometimes we resisted him, but he said there may come a time where you have to work remotely. And certainly as we're looking to, to expand across the country at some point, we wanted to, to you know, really set up an infrastructure that allows us to and allows our staff to work from anywhere. And, and Bob, you have a nice calming voice. You know, if you're looking for more work, we could we could um, use you on Saturday from eight to four in our intake department. So you could work from Chicago, and nobody would notice the difference. So we we set ourselves up to really be able to to work remotely. So when this crisis happened, and you know they you know mandated that businesses have their employees work from home, we have not missed a beat. And you know we've been able to run our revenue cycle. We've been able to to run all of our clinical ops. We've been able to run intake and continue to be able to take patients. And we even had actually a virtual orientation. We had new employees and we were able to, to orient them, or at least the, the education part of it, we were able to orient them remotely. So, so from that standpoint, we have not, it really hasn't affected us that much from the as far as the nurses and our therapists going out into the community to uh, visit our patients, we've been able to maintain and see all of our 21,000 visits a week. There's been, you know, small instances where several patients are, you know, very worried about having people come into their home and they've refused care. We certainly have coordinated with the patient's physicians to, to get different types of plans for those situations, but the majority you know, I would say 99.9% of our, our visits have not been impacted. Now, that's not to say that it's easy because we've been managing a lot of, you know, fear, concern of our clinicians. We've been really struggling as any home health agency or any, you know, any home health company in the country, but frankly, every healthcare entity in the country right now is struggling for PPE. You know, that's our biggest challenge at the moment and everyone's biggest challenge. Have you had to change, you know, how you source it or how you utilize it at all? Oh, absolutely. We have gone through, you know, any type of channel. We actually just got a large shipment from a company in Ireland of, of face masks. And so really any way that's, you know, is ethical and, and legal, we are trying to source PPE. We, and, and certainly it's been a huge cost driver for us and we know for, for other agencies as well. Have you had any COVID-19 positive patients that you're caring for already? Yeah, we have seven total, five are in the hospital, two in the community. So we haven't seen the, the big surge in the community that, that everybody's been anticipating, but, but certainly we're in the midst of it right now. So who, who knows what happens in the next few weeks, but we're, we're certainly ready for it. Yeah. And uh, just as we were gearing up for this call, you know, you kind of mentioned offhand that you actually went on that very first visit into the home to a, a COVID-19 patient. Could you just kind of describe that experience and why you, you know, as the leader of Najoni, wanted to actually do that yourself? Sure. Thank you for asking. So we had our first patient and, and at the time and during this time, right, everybody the fear factor for everyone in healthcare right now is, is pretty high. And so we're constantly communicating with our staff and giving the most updated, up-to-date information from the CDC or the Department of Public Health or CMS that, that we can. And so when we, when we first, we got our first uh, official COVID-19 positive patient, you know, I thought that it was important to set the tone in the, in the company as the CEO of the company. Um, and as a nurse myself, to to go out and do one of the first visits with this patient. And, you know, it was frankly, you know, in the sense I wanted to let the staff know that I would never have them do anything that I personally wouldn't do as well. And 
the visit itself was great. You know, I've done about 20,000 visits in my career, but not for a long time, but it was great to be out there. I was a 75-year-old patient who had COPD, anxiety, uh, major depression, and also diabetes. So it was, it was great to talk to her and try to give her as much information as I could and, you know, provide some solace. Uh, a lot of our patients, frankly, are uh, alone. You know, so when everyone is sheltering in place, I'm sure, you know, as, as my family probably wants to kill me at this point, but everyone is having a tough time. But certainly our types of, of patients are really struggling. And oftentimes it's our nurse or our therapist that comes in and works with them. And they may be the only person they speak to all day. So, so really our nurses are providing a lot of solace. They're providing a lot of reassurance and helping, you know, make these patients less lonely during this difficult time. And I heard reports today that we had several of our nurses out of one of our offices were actually getting food for patients because they were running low on food supplies. So oftentimes our nurses are really a lifeline for these patients, especially when, you know, social service systems are really struggling right now. So it's more important than ever that we continue to, to visit our patients and continue to support them as much as possible. I almost want to take that soundbite and send it to CMS after this podcast just to really illustrate, you know, what these frontline home health workers are doing to go above and beyond. We recently did a webinar with some folks from VNSNY and the Home Care Association of New York State, and we were talking about how home-based care has almost taken a back seat to the hospitals who are often the kind of the top dog within the healthcare system calling the shots. But I think that that's a really great story that uh, highlights the important work that you know folks like your team are doing right now. Apart from, you know, PPE, apart from the isolation challenges with some patients, what other issues operationally are you experiencing that are maybe unique to the patient population you have? Well, it's, it's difficult, right, because it's hard to get a lot of our patients right now to their primary care appointments mm-hmm. because a lot of that has stopped, right? So there's, there's just a lot of challenges, and certainly there's, you know, hospitals right now are, are really focusing on COVID-19. So sometimes it could be even difficult to get a patient in the hospital as well. So there's just, with the system kind of on pause right now, there's just several challenges. It's hard to sometimes get in touch with physicians because their offices are shut down. So it's, you know, we're dealing the same thing that every other agency is is dealing with at the moment. I imagine it's calling a lot of audibles on a day-by-day basis. Well, you have to improvise, right? And certainly, uh, MassHealth, which is which is Massachusetts, uh, the, the Massachusetts state agency that manages Medicaid, has been very helpful. And they've, you know, they've been able to extend the time we have to get physician signatures. They've been able to relax uh, regulations such as having uh, physicians only sign orders. Now, nurse practitioners and physician assistants can sign orders. So that's really helping ease some of the challenges. And, and frankly, the state government, the governor, and uh, MassHealth have really stepped up. And, and, you know, we feel we, you know, sometimes will conflict with state governments as every home health agency will or CMS, but we feel like they really are stepping up for the industry right now. When you're not going on, you know, home care visits, can you just kind of walk me through what a regular day, quote unquote, looks, looks like right now <laughs> from that leadership what, what are the so, conversations you're having? What things are you checking constantly sure. you know, along those lines? Sure, I chuckled because regular day is, is uh, you know, everyone in healthcare would laugh at that, right? And, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean, just in the sense that what is regular, right? Is there, you know, and, and so what we're doing right now is 
We're meeting every single morning with our clinical team. So our, our leadership and our clinical leadership is meeting every morning and they're just, you know, in essence, providing any updates on any Department of Health or CDC guidance that has changed because it does change on a daily basis. Yeah, they're reporting out about any patient or any types of exposures, if, if any has happened. And we do spend a lot of time, obviously, uh, looking at organizing the PPE needs and mobilizing equipment to all of our offices to make sure that they're well supplied. And, and then we're, in essence, evaluating any labor force issues, right? So if we're having any nurses or therapists that are having any symptoms, oftentimes they're being put on the sideline for 14 days or so um, until they're, they're officially cleared. And so, you know, obviously this is still cold, flu, and allergy season. That, that is, you know, that does create a challenge at times. But luckily, knock on wood, we've, we've been able to manage that. Every single day we have a COVID-19 uh, task force meeting in the afternoon. And that may consist of, we, so we have a group of people that we've organized to put on that committee and they'll attend any kind of C of CMS, CDC, uh, DPH seminars or or webinars, rather. We're always kind of consistently looking at state and national statistics for any trends. We're updating all of our organizational process and procedures, and sometimes that can almost change on a daily basis. And then again, PPE procurement just dominates every meeting these days. And then we're really, you know, trying to put as much educational materials to our staff as much as possible and trying to get them the, the most up-to-date information. And, you know, that's obviously very fluid at the moment. I'm sure there are a few, but what are the biggest lessons that you've learned so far? You know, somebody listening to this podcast, if they're looking for maybe one tip or piece of advice, what's what's something that you would tell them? Sure. I would say, obviously, you know, I think everybody is these days is pay attention to your technology infrastructure, right? That can make or break you in a, in a situation like this. The other important thing is to have a strong culture, right? To, to have a culture where people trust each other, where there's a lot of communication, and communication is, is just hugely important. And as soon as we get information, we, we will analyze it, we will look at it, we will update our policies and procedures, and we try to get it out to our staff as much as possible and on a daily basis. And so that is, you know, whether it's, you know, company-wide messages, whether it's messages provided, you know, focused on specific departments or specific individuals, we try to communicate as much as possible. And then, you know, frankly, the last lesson is, you, know, you have to be able to improvise. You know, you have to be nimble enough as an organization to adjust to just crazy situations like this that are unanticipated. And we're used to dealing with that up in up in Boston because we're, you know, we have a lot of snow days or we have a lot of blizzards. And, you know, we're used to providing care every single day of the year and in, in, in challenging circumstances. So our nurses and our therapists are a very, very dedicated bunch, and they've, you know, they're used to working in difficult environments and challenging urban areas, and and so they're really, I can't emphasize enough how much they've, they've impressed me during this time. Let's take a step back here for a second, because when we first spoke, uh, you were very bullish on the future of Najoni Health and your growth plans for 2020. You know, I think you called this a, a true black swan event, kind of that nobody saw coming. Are you still as optimistic about what the future has in store for your company? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think one thing this this crisis has emphasized is how much how much our patients do depend on care. How much you know the social determinants of care matter with this population. And so, you know, as we continue to refine our model with this population, we continue to look for ways that we can you know create a better quality of life for our patients, but also do it in a way 
where we can utilize data and technology to provide value and a return on investment to our payer sources. I think there's I think there's a huge need for this nationwide, and I, I think this is something that I continue to be excited about. And obviously, we're dealing with the challenges at the moment, but I think this this really you know totally emphasizes the importance of the work my company does. And uh, where do you go from here? How do you even think about starting to get back to normal or plan ahead for the next 12 months when things are literally changing on an hourly basis? Well, it's hard to plan right now because we're in the midst of it. And so I think for us, it's a matter of just getting through each day and making sure that we, you know, we plan as best as we can for the week ahead and we take the information we get and we, you know, we change. I mean, everybody has to be flexible at the moment. And our goal right now is to make sure that our patients get service, that they get, you know, that they're safe and our staff is safe and, and all, you know, is, all needs are being met at the moment. So, you know, we're trying to do the best we can to work with hospitals, to work with Department of Mental Health vendors and other group ACOs that we work with to, to meet their needs. And that, that can be changing as their, you know, staffing issues change as well. So, we're talking to everybody, and, and frankly, I've been very impressed with, with the way that everybody has supported each other in, in our community. Well, I think that checked off all the questions I had prepared. Uh, anything else to know about your company or anything else that you want to talk about when it comes to this public health emergency and Najoni's response to it? Sure. Well, well, well. Thank you very much. Well, first, I want to thank you, Bob, because I think you, 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 and your organization have put a lot of great articles up that are very informative to to me and and the other home care providers out there. But I really want to thank all the nurses, all the physicians, you know, all the people that are on the front line in this crisis, all the first responders and grocery store workers, and everybody that that is out there every day that may be, you know, afraid or, or worried about their personal safety or their families, but is out there every day, you know, taking care of people. And I, I have a lot of respect for everybody that's doing that. And certainly I'm very proud of my own organization and its response to this crisis. All right, Joe. Thanks again for coming on the podcast. Again, this was Joe McDonough. He's the founder and CEO of Najoni Health based out of Massachusetts. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Bob. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disrupt. For more news and insights on the home health, home care, and hospice industries, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at homehealthcarenews.com. I'm Robert Holly, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.